Hey there, this is Jenny Chen. I'm the founder of 3D Heels. Welcome to the Lattice Podcast, the official podcast for 3D Heels. This is where you will find fun but in-depth conversations with technological game changers, creative minds, entrepreneurs, rule breakers, and more. Focusing on how we can use 3D technologies like 3D printing and bioprinting to reinvent healthcare and even life sciences. This podcast will also include AMA or Ask Me Anything sessions, past Instagram live interviews with influencers, and other direct engagements with our tribe. Okay, well, hi everybody. I'm Jenny Chen, I'm the founder of 3D Heels, and uh, one of the intention of me having even an Instagram account is I really hope that this is a window of inspiration and beauty, and, uh, and also, you know, a platform for discussion and conversations like, like what we're going to have today. And so who we have today is uh, Mr. Richard Dewar, um, and uh, Richard has been with us for quite a few years now. He is in Detroit. He's a community manager for 3D Heels in Detroit. He's doing a fantastic job. But he also has a, a day job, obviously. Um, and, and so daytime, you actually is uh, a 3D printing engineer for ADN. But you're also the co-founder of uh, uh, Model 3D. Oh, there you go. There's your buddy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So, so Model 3D is a very fascinating startup, um, and you work basically for uh, primarily creating 3D printed models or maybe even surgical guides for yep. the veterinarian practices uh, and education as well. So uh, the reason that we're having this conversation today because I, I found this subject is so fascinating. I, I found your work fascinating. Uh, and also we're gonna have a, a veterinary practice uh, 3D printing for a veterinary practice event in March. So um, with all that coming up, um, I think this is an excellent opportunity to uh, talk about your work, about yourself, um, and then answer any questions if people have it. So, nope. so yeah, so who is, the, who, who is the individual with next to you? That was uh, Thor. Thor oh. was, he's a rescue actually off the streets of uh, Stockton, California. Oh, right around the corner here. Yeah, and I actually picked him up in October, beginning of October. So some friends who used to be in the military own a um, German Shepherd rescue in Salt Lake City. And somehow the word got out that there was this uh, black shepherd in the animal shelter in Stockton. So they reached out to me and I uh, ended up flying out there and then uh, driving with him back, which was quite an adventure. I mean, it was, uh, it was a great trip, except he kept, he's got separation anxiety. He kept trying to climb into the front seat with me. And um, I mean, we drove, you know, as you've been out that way before. If you go through uh, Idaho, Wyoming, Nebraska, you never, it's, you can just fly in the car. I never saw a cop until we got to Illinois. And then when we got to Illinois, I went by this unmarked cop um, at, seven, at 80 miles an hour in a 70 mile an hour zone. He didn't do anything, so I just pulled over and I just kept going. Ten minutes later, he pulls up alongside of me, and I was like, uh-oh. And uh, I, he pulls me over, and then he comes over on the passenger side, and he put the window down, and Thor is in the back seat. So Thor gets up, and he goes, wow, that's like the calmest uh, German shepherd I've ever seen. And he starts talking. It turns out he has a Malinois in the back of his car, and he's a canine officer. 
So long story short, he goes, uh, great dog, uh, slow it down, see ya. And he walked away. No ticket, wow. no anything. And it was all because of the dog. You know? Yeah. He saved me probably 150 or $200 there. Well, Richard, you obviously love animal, uh, but what uh, kind of drives you to move from, I mean, you're still in the automotive industry. You're still doing 3D printing work with uh, the automotive industry, but what kind of inspired you to actually finally make that transition to really? the, yeah, the veterinary part? Well, really two things. Um, in, um, must've been 2016, we were approached by the Center for Pet Safety out of Washington, D.C. And um, they were doing sled testing with uh, dog mannequins or dummies um, with a group over in Troy, Michigan, which is not too far away. And um, I was thinking that I said, we've got two of the most advanced sleds or servo sleds in the nation and we should be doing this, you know, with Subaru. And so we started talking to her and she came up and we ended up actually doing a dog clinic and putting on interviewing people and, and videotaping them about how do you um, you interact with your dog in the car. And then we, long, again, we ended up building a, um, a dog mannequin that used, is used for testing pet products. Because most pet products actually have, there's no test standards like in automotive. You have like, we used a child uh, um, FMVSS 202, which is for child restraints like for uh, child seats as a test requirement. But anyway, that's what uh, kind of got me started in it was developing this dog mannequin um, for the Center for Pet Safety. And then I went to a um, software event in Detroit and it was automotive and medical. And then, you know, I was sitting on the medical side. And I was kind of like, oh, I've heard all this stuff before about 3D printing with automotive. I'm going to go over to the medical side and see what they're doing. So I went over there and I saw what they were doing at Boston Children's Hospital with, uh, you know, 3D printing. Um, they're actually, um, you know, a baby typically has, um, or not typically, but in severe cases has a, uh, a case where their intestines are pushing up on their lungs and it, they have very difficult breathing. Yes. So they're actually able to go in and they showed how they're actually able to go in and do a CT of the baby in the mother's womb, print, um, you know, the exact organs of the baby and then practice the surgery 10 times over about how to alleviate the pressure on the lungs when the baby came out. Because previously, it was like a one shot. You got one shot to try and do this. And it was very risky. But the 3D printings um, really kind of illustrated how you could uh, reduce um, the risk with, uh, you know, this type of operation. Well, this is one of the first cases we did. And this was um, um, actually with a... Um, female uh, Belgian shepherd who developed a brain meningioma. And we really did this uh, for educational purposes. And so we started out, um, you know, originally um, 3D printing molds um, of, you know, we segmented, uh, can't really see this very well, but we segmented the brain out uh, in slicer 3D. And then we, um, it's a two-part mold, and then this was just printed at FDM. So we started this out, and then we started saying, well, we got more uh, requests for this model. So we started saying, well, how can we start making um, a softer brain? And we ended up eventually printing, um, you know, an FDM again, 
uh, the brain and the brain stem. And then we created a uh, two-part silicone mold. And that was... Um, yep, you can see it now. So yeah, so we were able then to... Uh, we had to experiment too around with... This is kind of the box we built around it. And then we um, experimented with different urethanes in order to how do we make this brain really soft enough that it fits into the uh, model. Yeah. And then we also then segmented out the, um, uh, whoops, let me spin this around. So the black part is actually the meningioma uh, okay. the tumor. And then we were actually able to show this. And we printed these originally in clear in an SLA, like a clear view material. And then we actually found out um, many of the uh, students are very rough with these models. I mean, this is like the small meningioma and things, but so they get dropped, they get, um, you know, somebody said one time a dog picked it up and started chewing on it. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> we actually have switched from the Clearview models to uh, more of an ABS uh, FDM model. And even, so, even in that model that you just showed us, um, I just want to clarify what are the parts. Okay, the yellow, what, what is the yellow part? Yellow is the brain. So this was... Um, okay, that's a dog's brain, basically. Yeah. But everybody yeah. looks different from humans. Right. Um, okay. And then the meningioma is the black part. Yes. Okay. Yeah, so we segmented that, that out and, um, and then 3D printed both the components or both parts. And then, uh, you know, it fits within this kind of clamshell of the... Uh, whoops the dog's skull. Is this uh, 3D printed? Yes. And this is using the SLA uh, type of printer or it's what, yeah, it looks like a, a resin based, right? Yeah, it's SLA, it's a, a 3D system. So it's uh, in a material called Clearview. Mm -hmm. So it could be, we could polish it or just wet sand it a little bit and then clear coat it with some uh, lacquer to make it a little more clear. But I think, um, you know, after um, we use this enough, um, we just decided to um, leave it as is so the students could just open it up and then look within the brain. But yeah. the good thing I think that the, you know, the faculty liked is that it gave such clear definition to the rest of the, uh, the sinus cavity, um, all the other anatomy, you know, of the skull, um, which worked out really well. Yeah. And so we've been uh, making these and then, you know, we cast the brains in, uh, in the silicone mold and then, um, you know, send them around to the different vet schools. So it's a combination of uh, soft and hard model. That's Correct. It's a hybrid of both. And you actually use a hybrid technique with both printing and also injection mode. Yeah. And actually for the, for the molding, our, our injection molder, I don't know if you can see this, it's really quite a large uh, syringe. So we actually take this and fill it full of, um, you know, urethane and then inject it into the uh, mold. That's super cool. Yeah, and it works out. And then we have a, you know, a pressure pot. So we put it inside a pressure pot. So it removes any sort of bubbles or things like that in the mold um, when we're doing it. You know, we've looked at trying to print uh, the brain in multiples, but it just got to be too costly for a lot of the schools. 
and it was much easier just to uh, uh, make duplicates in the silicone molds. Yeah, the brain is just a blob of fat, actually. <laughs> yeah, so, but it's, you know, it's really just to show that, you know, because what it really illustrates is when the students would typically get, you know, DICOM data, they're kind of looking at this, and it looks like some kind of gray and, you know, black abstract, and uh, it really illustrates what's, you know, going on with the, uh, with the uh, brain tumor, with the meningioma, and the pressure that it puts on the brain. You can also... Um, you know, really see when you try it because it's it's too scale. And when you try and fit this inside the the brain, you can really see how much it's really was pushing in on the front of her brain. Um, yeah. During so this. this is a, so this is obviously a case of education purpose. Um, do Do you have any cases? I mean, uh, have you done any cases actually for preoperative planning? You know that kind of stuff. No, I haven't done any for preoperative. I mean, that's what I think. You know, our event coming up in March. Yeah, you know, we have three leading uh, vets in, in that. We have you know Bill Oxley coming in from Eng England, who's done you know three D printed probably over nine hundred different uh, um, you know post op you know preoperative um, um, structures and drill guides and other components you know for surgery. And then we also have uh, Adida Bula, you know mm -hmm. from Michigan State. She's um, you know, done quite a bit of research in this area for TPLOs, which is, you know, typically a cruciate ligament repair on the dog. So she's actually 3D printing for uh, surgery for the TPLO. Uh, then we also have Stuart Ryan from Australia, mm -hmm. you know, and Stuart's, um, you know, done quite a bit in terms of 3D printing for uh, surgery, you know, as well as um, uh, radioactive treatments and how it affects the bone. Mm -hmm. And, you know, 3D printing examples of that. So, yeah, we do have, you know, three upcoming great speakers who have done that for yeah. surgical practice. But for myself, no, most of all of my cases have been um, kind of after the fact. We are doing some um, with some vets. We're developing some um, simulators and the simulators are regarding the vascular system. So they actually bleed and we kind of... Um, you know, it's, again, a specific case, though, for an enlarged um, um, caudal vena cava to show, like, how this it's quite enlarged and the treatment that students would have to do to practice on this. Mm -hmm. um, but that's that's really about it right now. So that's the only surgical application I'm doing right now. Yeah. Now, from your perspective, do you think there is a, a, going, a trend that's developing in the veterinary market? Uh, the veterinary medicine market. I mean, to me, I, I actually think, and we talked about this before, that there is a, a, a societal trend that we care more and more about our pets and animals' well-being. Um, do you feel like the market is is starting to pick up in a way? I think it is. I mean, I think, you know, with uh, COVID, you know, you've had, there's very few dogs in the shelters anymore because everybody's at home and decided to, and adopt a dog or a cat or um, a reptile or you know or, or some animal. Um, so I think it has picked up. It's um, you know I think it's the stat is like 98% of people who have pets believe, treat them like they're a family member. You know, and I think you know 67% of uh, the people in the U.S. have a pet of some sort. You know, a dog, cat, bird, whatever. And it's um, 
you know, it's, I think we spent $79 billion last year on our pets, which is more than we spend on, on kids. Yeah. So, and they were actually, I think, recent research that just came out, they said even with COVID, um, you know, and people's loss of jobs and things that hasn't stopped their, their spending on their pets. You know, and a lot of that is they buy specialty dog foods. They, um, you know, buy all sorts of different treats, toys. I mean, daycare, I mean, and the market will go back up too. And people go, you know, if the office ever does go somewhat back to normal, when you go into an office, you're going to have more daycare centers opening up again, um, dog training, pet sitting, you know, things along pet insurance too. I mean, I think yes, it's absolutely, you know, I think it's a, we spent a billion dollars in the U S last year on pet insurance. And that's only one, I think one and a half percent of the pop, you know, the pet population where Sweden is roughly 30%. Um, Canada is pretty high as well. Europe's further ahead in this than us, but, and I think there's, there's now 12 leading uh, pet insurance companies in the U S. So this is, that's a really, you know, huge growing market. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I was going to say, too, I mean, even for, you know, like um, we do some training with uh, military dogs. And so, you know, we've actually found that, uh, you know, we did a course actually with uh, called T and then Triple C, which is um, tactical canine casualty care. But it was kind of fascinating to find out that, you know, a lot of these military working dogs, I mean, start can start at twenty five thousand dollars a piece wow. and you know they consider by the time they do training and other things they're worth roughly of a quarter of a million dollars yeah that's and, a lot yeah and i mean even like a, a bomb sniffing dog um a, a former uh, canine handler was telling me like a bomb sniffing dog is worth at least one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. and so i mean even the investment from the military side is you know quite extensive and i mean it's kind of interesting 3d printing wise um they're using 3D printing to train uh, bomb sniffing dogs now, where at Lawrence Livermore Lab, they've uh, developed a process where they can um, print on, you know, print on demand, um, like a chemical trace of an explosive, and then they can uh, print it in a ceramic. So, I mean, the whole advantage was when they were printing before with previous polymers, they were concerned about maybe the dog is just learning, you know, to recognize this polymer not really necessarily the bomb material. And so they, they, a ceramic does not really have any sort of chemical trace to it. So they've been printing in ceramic and then they can put in this, um, you know, percentage of different bomb ingredient and print right into the ceramic. So the dog definitely is just being trained to learn that, um, that explosive material. Wow. That's but fascinating. They, yeah, it is. And they can also, I mean, you know, how you, when you print, like in an FDM and you print in layers, um, you can do the same thing with the bomb material. So you can print alternate layers of different bomb materials. You could have kind of a, a bomb material that would typically react with another material, but then you could sandwich a kind of inert material in between the two. So the dog can get used to um, smelling all these different materials and how to recognize them. And then also shapes, you know, they um, typically now print, you know, um, just a generic looking uh, shape, but now they print um, with the 3D printing, they print cell phones, they print shoes, they print other things that the dog needs to start looking at in order to recognize, um, you know, an explosive. So it's pretty fascinating what they're doing, you know, just with 3D printing in that area with military, um, you know, explosive dogs. Yeah, no, no, it is fascinating. It's not something that I would know 
uh, without having a conversation with you for sure. Um, you know, it was interesting as, you know, oftentimes, you know, I think about the uh, pet market is kind of similar to pediatric market, but they're actually totally different, obviously, children and, and animal and pets. Um, but sometimes they do intersect, you know, the human, the human side and then the um, animal side. Um, so um, it, it doesn't sound like a lot of uh, preoperative planning is happening for the, you know, for the animal side yet, you know, but it sounds like it's, it's kind of uh, getting there. Um, it's interesting to see that um, the, the veterinary practice started off with education practice or simulation using 3D printing mm -hmm. and not like directly just for a, a particular case. Um, you know, I wonder if this is something to do with the uh, economics behind this, you know, rather to train, uh, it's probably cheaper to train for skills uh, than actually using a model for direct surgical planning for every single case. Yeah, I think that's where, I mean, where some of the um, simulators we're looking at building are actually, they're based on um, DICOM uh, from actual organs. But then we actually have to work on getting the tissue the correct weight, the, the correct thickness. Um, it has to have the correct tactile feel. Um, so that allows actual, actual practice, um, you know, on, uh, for pre-planning surgery, things like that. Um, so I think it's a growing market. I mean, it's still early. But I mean, I mean for orthopedics, it's, you know, used quite often for drill guides or for how to reset difficult fractures, uh, things like that. Cause it, you know, you can make the, uh, support guide right up next to the bone. Um, but you know, I think it's, you know, even prosthesis, you know, it's, um, all the different animals, you know, that you see a three-legged dog or cat, you know, that there's a real demand that people now will pay to have, you know, someone custom scan their, their pet and then yeah. make prosthesis to help them walk around or, uh, get back to a normal life. Yeah, I was going to ask, uh, what about the implant side? Any, any like, potential ma uh, more bigger interests uh, for the implants? I, I mean, we've seen a couple of articles last year about how to restore some of the uh, endangered species with uh, 3D printed implants, uh, prosthetics. Is, is, do you see an uptick in the market for, you know, more implantable devices? Oh, <laughs> um. <laughs> so cute. This is Abby. Well, I don't know where your head is. Oh, there you are. So um, this is the other one. The other <laughs> one off the table, yeah. Um, I, I think, it, you know, again, it's, it's early and they um, started doing, you know, using it for implants, uh, you know, maybe for uh, brain tumors, you know, where the, uh, the cancer is eaten through parts of the skull to make, you know, patches uh, for the skull, more for um, bone applications, um, you know, things like that. They, you know, a lot of times still for implants, you know, they'll put titanium uh, plates, you know, in and leave those in for dogs with difficult fractures. Um, I mean, do, they do that with a TPLO when, you, you know, your dog tears its cruciate ligament. They typically, you know, cut the bone, break it and move it. Um, so the ligament is no longer a factor, but in doing that, they put a plate to help a titanium plate typically, and that plate typically stays with the dog for the rest of his life. Um, you know, there isn't the same criteria 
um, for implants as there is with humans. So it's, it's, I think it's easier. Um, the printing companies too are coming out with materials, you know, that are, um, you know, biocompatible or approved, you know, for surgical applications. Like Form Labs is one, you know, who's, um, has biocompatible materials, you know, both um, Bill Oxley and Stuart Ryan, you know, both use form lab printers at times for their, for their surgical practice. Um, you know, and I know that, um, with uh, the HP process, you know, we use not really for implants, but we're using that for, you know, printing stereotactic radiation, um, treatment plans. So that's, you know, an advantage there, but, um, you know, to answer your question, I think it, it's growing. Yeah. It sounds like it. Let me check if we have any live questions right now. It uh, doesn't look like we have. I have one final question, and then we can probably uh, wrap this session up. Let's see okay. if we have any. Uh, let's see. Let's see. There's some comments, but uh, no questions. Well, I have a final question. Is you know I I haven't really done extensively. Uh, I haven't done extensive research like you have, Richard. And one, one question I have is the regulatory concerns of um, these uh, products. Do, does uh, FDA still regulate this area or do we have a different regulatory entity? Um, or is this fairly not really regulated? You know, I don't really know that. Um, I don't know who is regulating it, you know, for form labs or if it's going through the FDA. Um, I would, I would assume, but that's something, um, you know, we could, I could look into it. We could look into, you know, for the March, um, might be interesting to have somebody from the FDA or whoever is regulating that, you know, be part of that, uh, conference. Yeah. I'm pretty sure all the speakers kind of probably already looking into it. Um, I mean, there is liability in treating even a dog patient, but I don't think it's as, as high as human patient. Uh, but it is a very interesting just to look into it because I'm sure there's some kind of guidelines around it. Um, but thank you so much, Richard, for uh, this session this morning. This is kind of fun. I, I would say you're the first one this year. So that's, that's some bravery here. Um, <laughs> and I want to thank everybody who have joined us today. And this will be uh, recorded and be available on Instagram, podcast, and our YouTube channel. Okay. Great. Thank you, everyone. And have a good day. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye. That's it for this episode. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at 3 Heels, and check out the links in the show notes. See you next time.